roaring out shanties like Row, Boatman Row, White Rose, or the Cadworth Anthem, Robber's Retreat. Come fill up your glasses and let us be merry, for to rob bags of plunder it is our intent. Martin's deep baritone rang out. On the swell of half-drained pints of Atlantic ale, the singers swayed in song, fingers closed around loops of rope hung from low black beams. Lights from the bar glinted off a brass barometer, captain's clock, and photos of Cadworth fishermen. They sang the old heart songs, Lamorna, about a man who rides all night in a moonlit cab next to a maiden with a dark, roving eye and rain-slaked hair. He lifts her veil to find it's his wife. They belted out the defiant Cornish anthem. I've stood on Cape Cornwall in the sun's evening glow on Tune Hill at Newlyn to watch the fishing fleets go, watch the sheave wheels at Giva as they spun around and heard the men singing as they go underground. And no one will ever move me from this land until the Lord calls me to sit at his hand. Then it was off to the net loft for rum and beer after hours. They drank rum with shrub, a fruit syrup which Cadwith smugglers used to mask the briny, salty taste of seawater that seeped into barrels sung and sunk and hidden where no excise man could find them. One particularly successful week, Martin and his dad threw a legendary piss-up that went on for two days. Martin liked the freedom of being outdoors. He thought about North American Indians catching salmon in traps, hunting deer with a bow and arrow. Martin's version was seeking out a shoal of fathoms down with no echo sounder. Mackerel, like a certain depth, 40 fathoms below the surface, he had seen shoals of fish which measured 20 fathoms deep, the size of a hotel in volume, hundreds of tons of fish. At nights he'd go home to the little house in Cadworth he shared with his parents. You're told early. It's in Cornish blood to be good fishermen, to be genuine in your work, whether you're building a hedge or digging a hole. It's the heritage. These are the original Britons. The Romans never made it west of Exeter, and the devil was too scared to cross the Tamar. Have one more beer before I leave you 
sing one more song before I go. We can curse the days of that bloody beamer, curse the sea and the wind that blows. Do you remember John who lost those fingers, too slow to let go of the chain? Blown to throw on a navy seeking, and then next trip was back again. So let's have one more beer before I leave you, and we'll sing one more song before I go. We can curse the days of that bloody beamer, curse the sea and the wind that blows. Yes, those deadly chains and the freezing fingers, the slimy decks as slick as ice, the fitful sleep and the constant danger, we all had friends who paid the price. So let's have one more beer before I leave you, and we'll sing one more song before I go. We can curse the days of that bloody beamer, curse the sea and the wind that blows. <coughs>
take part. They don't belt it out with something with a degree of sensitivity. Hope you enjoy it. It's called Cornwall, my home. I've stood on Cape Cornwall in the sun's evening glow on Tune Hill and Newlyn to watch the fishing fleet go, watch the sheep wheels at Kiva as they spun around, and heard the men singing as they go underground, and no one will Until the Lord calls me to stick at his hand, for this is my Eden, and I'm not alone. For this is my Cornwall, and this is my home. I've left childish footsteps in the soft seven sand, and I've chased the maids there. Oh, quickly and tan, I've stood on the cliff top in a westerly glow, and heard the waste thunder on the rocks far below, and no one will ever move me from this land until the Lord calls me to sit at his hand, for this is my Martin whooped out loud at such a large catch. 500 stone worth about a grand. He felt like dancing. The Penrose had no hold, so the Pilchards were left sloshing around on deck, a seething mass of oily silver. There was a lot of tide that night. The three-feet waves in Mounts Bay were twice the size of, off the lizard. The wind groaned. Dark waves reared up and buried the bow. Spray lashed the wheelhouse. Martin kept the bilge pump going. He started to worry. Even the big boats flounder on the lizard when the waves swamp you. They can hurl you against the hauler, or the derrick can list. A few years back, two Cadgeworth fishermen set sail from Helford and disappeared. Never found the bodies. The village grieved for weeks. In bad conditions, seawater drains overboard through a boat's scuppers. 
Because he had to keep his catch on deck, Martin had to put mesh over the Penrose's scuppers to stop the fish slipping. Pilchards were thumping around in boxes, jumping about all over the place, sloshing back and forth as the spray came over. The boat felt top-heavy and unstable. The radio wasn't working, so Martin felt around for his mobile phone. He called Nick to say they were on their way. We have a good catch on board, but the wind is starting to freshen. We're three miles off Mausel. Nick knew Martin well enough to detect a quaver in his voice. Martin didn't deliver information without a joke. This time he'd blurted out his position. Nick phoned Falmouth Coast Guard to put them on standby. The Coast Guard called Martin's mobile. Martin thanked them. We are three on board, Carl, Patch, and me. He gave them the source and position. He told them to call back in half an hour. 10 minutes later, the Penrose was in serious trouble. Water kept coming over the bow. He put the deck lights on and saw hundreds of fish rolling around the aft deck in five inches of water. It wasn't clearing. The fish had choked the scuppers. She was rolling. He realized the catch was too big and the boat wasn't seaworthy enough to carry it. He did the maths. There was a ton of water on deck with 500 stone of fish. The net weighed another ton, the winch half a ton, the power block was 300 pounds up in the air. Too heavy. We're in the ship. I think we're going to sink, he told the guys. I don't know what to do here. The waves are too big to open her up. Don't worry about it. Open her up, Patch said. He should have done it. He should have opened the engine up, shut the door, got the bow up and hoped the water didn't come over. But he eased it down. The others put life jackets on and went out of the wheelhouse. The boxes slid over to port. Carl jumped into the sea. Patch threw the life raft over the side, yanked the painter so it popped out of its container and inflated with a bang. Then he jumped overboard too. Martin was left alone in the wheelhouse. The sea level seemed to go down. He could feel his barber, mobile and sonar was soaked through. The boat was going over slowly onto her side. He couldn't tell if it would keep going down. He knocked the engine out of gear, climbed out of the wheelhouse and waded towards the stern. The mast sliced down and with it the wires and stays that kept it up. He ducked underneath so his life jacket didn't snag. Then he clambered to the stern to jump but found the nets floats were up. To clear the net, he had to hurl himself far out into the sea. The shock of freezing water hit him. It was a bitter, icy December just before midnight. It was very dark, cloudy. Miles away in the distance, car headlights glinted on the way from Mausel to Penzance. The Penrose lay on her side, engine still running, Ford 120 horsepower. As he swam away, he felt the rope tug him back. It was caught round his foot. As he turned in the water, it skidded up his leg and wound round his groin. He yelled to the others. He couldn't get it off. Fuck. He heard the sound of the exhaust running chum, 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 chum. Screams cut the air above his head. He glimpsed gulls wheeling in the dark. The deck lights were still on underwater. It was an eerie light. Sachets of strong fluorescent dye had spilled into the sea, round the wheelhouse. The water was full of weird colours, lights and noise. 
like a rave. There was too much going on. Boxes were floating all over the place. Soon the sea would flood the wheelhouse and she'd be gone. Finally, he got a grip of the rope, worked his fingers under the coil in the water, tore the rope off his leg and swam to the life raft, hyperventilating, trying to breathe. We pulled him in. Clap your hands together, Patch said. He must be panicking. Exhale. Back in again. The deck lights played over Patch and Carl's shocked faces. The life raft drifted with the wind until they couldn't see the Penrose anymore. No one looked back for it either. They were wet through in a biting wind as six feet waves hounded them. They let off a flare, watched it fizzle and die. <clears throat> there was a little bit of food around, a knife, some more flares, water. They put a drogue out, a sea anchor, which swung the raft around away from the wind. They waited for 40 minutes. Nothing. That was a bit of a lash-up. What happened there? No one felt like talking. They could see St. Michael's Mount silhouetted in the distance.
Pluck from the seamen who thought they would die by the crews of the boats of the RNLI. Yet one more shout in the dead of the night, trawler Rospuma around off boy. The storm was too fierce for the breaches, boy, yet were fifty men saved from their hopeless plight. A thousand miles apart, Cornwall and Orkney, a thousand miles apart, Long Hope and Penley. Launch again, boys, put to sea again, boys, to the sea. That's where I must go, go where the wind blows. Pray for me, that I come home safely to thee. Eight men of long hope and eight of Bendy gave men back their lives that were slain by the sea. Daniel Kirkpatrick, son of Orkney, Trivelli and Richards of Bendy. took over Newlyn and Mousel and Sheffield and four little villages and decided on slum clearance, Newlyn being mostly slum cottages, even though they were nice for the painters and convenient for the fishermen. There was even a plan to drive a 60-foot wide road right through the middle of Mousel to where? Well, some of it happened. The little boat called the Rosebud was sailed by Newlyn men up the Thames for a meeting in the Houses of Parliament with the then Minister of Health who was in charge of the slum clearance. And it had some effects, because there's still quite a lot of Newlyn left. And this song was about the Newlyn clearances and about the lives and the dangers of the fishermen. I hear songs, I hear songs, sweet fishermen's songs, their home from sea. Home from sea. And are all the bad men come safely home? And are none of us widows left alone? Widows left alone, left alone. I see clouds, I see, I see clouds of demolition dust across the bay, Newlyn Way. You know what you say, that you chance that the councilmen of Brown Pentance now will have our way. Have your way. I hear wind, I hear wind, wild whistling winds, discarding clouds, turning clouds. Come home in bed, it terrifies me. What will it be like on the howling sea? Out on the howling sea, howling sea. They see slums, they see slums, and accountants' sums, and they all add up. All add up. They will scat Newlyn downtown to make a pretty Penzance housing estate. Pretty Penzance estate, 
They'd had Icelandic boats coming at them the whole time. The Icelanders would cut one of the warps, the two ropes that attached the trawler to the net. The hawser would snap back onto the beam with a whiplash. It left only a single end. That was half a day's work gone. Jesus, more work, no fish, no money. The Icelanders rammed the trawlers, fired rounds at them, Ben Gunn didn't take any notice of the ice, just got on with it. What he was, got on with what he was doing. He had a friend in Iceland at the time, Alfie Bothwell. They had been on a football boat together. They were caught in a hurricane off northwest Iceland in a place called Drangenes in the Denmark Straits. The weather was hellish. They couldn't get their breath. There was ice everywhere. Mountainous seas coming over the side. They had to get the big arm bobbins for the trawl on board by hand get a rope around their belly, and lash them down to the rail. Otherwise, they're in biggest shit then. The bobbins were solid rubber wheels on balls that held the bottom of the net open and helped it crawl along the sea floor. It all had to be lashed. The arse end was going under. Water coming! Get hold of something! Alfie cried out. Ben put his hands through the handrail and grabbed on tight. He got hold of any damn thing, so long as it was iron. She dipped and carried him up. Green water flooded over the rail, washed everything off the deck. It wrenched his feet up from under him, but he clung on, tightening his arms. If the boat's going, we're all fucking going, he cried out to Alfie. When she came back up, Alfie was gone. He got washed overboard. That was the worst moment of Ben's sea career, Christ, feeling like nothing else. Jesus, after that, he went on the drink for weeks. But it wasn't the worst storm Ben was in. That was in the North Sea, fishing out of Lurstoft, with a man who had lost one ship with five hands. They, held, they heard on the radio that earlier that night, a hotel rig had toppled over and sunk, with a lot of people lost. Then the storm hit them. Only three of them were allowed on watch, the skipper, the mate, and Ben, who was the bosun. There was no autopilot. He had to shut his eyes on deck. They had great fish holes on the decks. The sides were wooden pen boards several feet high. They were bent like matches. He looked out beyond the deck lights into the churning waters. 
A dark wave was bearing in, a black wall racing straight towards them. Ben's body began to roll automatically. The wave struck the boat midships. The water surged over the rail like a weir. It kicked his feet from under him as the rubble of gear, nets, and fish slid over to the other side. Ben held on. He knew exactly when. There's no amount of telling. It's experience. If you're not used to it, it's more dangerous. He could tell the deckhands until he got blue in the face, until they got a clout. Then they listened. Off the starboard tail, he saw a whale breaking the surface like a huge granite reef. I tore a nail off my big toe. He twisted round. Wild-eyed, the cook was stumbling onto deck. Is that all you're fucking worried about? Ben snapped, turning back to sea. The great fish was gone, had dived into the darkness of the sea. Away, hold away. 
she nearly drives me crazy. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. Away, hey, haul away, we'll haul away together. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. I'll run away to Newland Town and ship the border trawler. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. Trust the girl I could as there would only have a sailor. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. Away, hey, haul away, we'll haul away together. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. We'll sail to north, the wind on shore, we start a ship in water. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. I washed ashore and then met a girl who said she was my daughter. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. Away, hey, haul away, we'll haul away together. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. Away, hey, haul away, we'll haul a better weather. Away, haul away, we'll haul away, Joe. <laughs> Nutty Noah stirs powdered milk in his tea. His hair has gone white and feathery like a dandelion clock. His neck is swollen. He's just heard a good mate, Gary, a Newland fisherman, got drunk on his birthday in the swordfish, wobbled out and drowned in the harbour. He didn't have a home and was going back to the boat for a whiskey. Nutty is forging ahead with new ideas, full of undefeated optimism. So many ideas he can hardly keep track. His latest thing is looking for truffles. He had made a special truffle spade by cutting down a Cornish spade with an angle grinder. Cornish spade is wider and flatter than usual. He trains his dogs to smell truffle. Sally hid one away in the long grass, came back, and the dog raced off and found it every time. Truffles are bloody hard to find. A friend went on the computer and told him a farmer was harvesting 100 kilos in a 10-acre field. The truffle in his fridge has gone a bit mildewed. He hasn't a clue how to cook it. He's never eaten one before. Nutty Noah has filled every bit of space in his driftwood house with paintings. What he needs now is a separate studio. He started building a stockade out of whole tree trunks, 20 yards off in the long grass of the field. Here he can hold private views, away from the caravans. He laid a 10 feet square of concrete he has new knees in 2011, but years of fishing have given him a strong core. At one time, he shouldered fully grown fir tree trunks through a gap in the hedge. He stripped the bark off, connected them together with steel bars, three high for the walls. He's run out of money now. It cost a thousand quid to put the fucking concrete down. Fuck knows how many tons of rocks were under there. Sally doesn't want him to carry on as, it, as she thinks, it will fuck up her plans to put a log cabin where the caravans are. Bloody caravans. They cost 500 quid. There's no insulation. They're cold and noisy. They're not fucking houses. They're tin sheds. He's handed out business cards for Cadgeworth Cove cabs all over the lizard. Someone has been scribbling out his mobile number. He suspects it is Lizard Man a rival taxi driver who is guarding his patch. But he can't prove anything. On Fridays, 
In a bright, short-sleeved shirt, he walks down the steep lane to Cadgeth Cove Inn. Toots, grins, and waves from outside. They step over wet Labradors, squeeze in next to tourists in fleeces, tired from the coastal walk, who cradle a Betty Stoggs and wait for the singing to start. He joins the singers with his dark-toned bass. He has his arms round Matt in a Boston Red Sox baseball cap, who knows all the words because he's been coming for four years. Matt has a pink chit from his wife, a mother of three, to see an old friend from Oxford who was born in Manacken, a village on the Lizard. His friend is in a striped rugby shirt, saying how one real Celtic phrase came from Cadwith, quillic, meaning bloated like a frog. They were up drinking single malt until eight in the morning with a publican in Manacken. There's a tap on Nutty's shoulder. It's the blonde barmaid. Someone is here to see you. An elderly lady in a blue tea dress wants to say hello. He goes over. He has time for everyone. She's Australian with Cornish mining roots. He orders a huge round. He carries a jug of Atlantic ale and fills up the singer's glasses. All the time singing the bass, he cheers up the artisan blacksmith from Shropshire who retired from his architecture practice. He and his wife are escaping the empty nest. They all want to know Nutty. For a few hours, he is a celebrity. Cadgeworth is their home from home. The tourists love their quaint cottage, its sea view and parking space. The singers launch into This Is My Cornwall, and I'll tell you why, because I was born here, and here I shall die. But how many were born here? Even the bearded guy in the hat's only been here 24 years. That's, that's how it is. Sometimes when he's driving down the Lizard on his taxi job, he sees a yacht going west, south of the Lizard. He drops his fare off, drives back, and then sees the yacht again. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's still out there. For a moment, Nutty finds himself on the boat. He can feel the tide against him. There's a westerly wind, too. It's coming straight from the Atlantic. He's no longer sheltered by the headland. He's opening up a lot of sea there. The tiny white boat pushes forward against it. He might as well draw in a whale with a fish hook. The sea cares for nothing and no one. The boat passes through the waves and the water closes up behind, leaving no trace. Don't you rock on, 